and this ball game is over. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win. 128-104. One more time. We'll read what the bigs did tonight for the Bulls. All right. Talk about Vooch in only 24 minutes. Had 22 points, 12 rebounds. This is the number that I love. Four assists. And then you talk about Drummond. 21 minutes. 21 points, 15 rebounds, three steals. And he was nine of nine from the field. That was Chuck Swirsky and Will Purdue. It wasn't Bill Wennington because Will was filling in. Right. It was Bill and Will. We had the Will Wennington issue at one point. That's that true. We, now it's going to further be conflated. But Will Purdue will be back to his television responsibilities, and he joins us now on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. You follow him on Twitter at Will underscore Purdue with 32. Hello, Will. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning to you, too. You know what I was thinking last night after I saw you? Because, you know, you were you were dressed up. like You were ready to roll. Um, where do you get your suits from, man? Like, like how, how, how long does it take for a seven-foot man to get a suit cut? Well, I actually um, get my suits made here in Chicago. It's a place over off of uh, North Avenue called Luigi, but it's, uh, what is it? My wife, my uh, stylist, takes care of it for me. <laughs> but uh, Luigi, L-O-U-I-C-E, over off North Avenue. So so is it like yeah, a big man uh, store, or did you just like walk in and they were like, oh, we could totally dress you? Uh, no. It was a uh, – I had to do some research because, you know, everybody has their guy, mm-hmm. and you could go in and see a guy, and they're like, oh, man. And the first thing they see is dollar signs. So you kind of had to do a little research to see exactly what you like, what the value is. But, you know, it's kind of like uh, the same thing when buying clothes as my wife and I are trying to, you know, look for a house. And house and prices are still inflated. Interest rates are up. But if you really find a house that you love and have to have and you plan on living there a long time, you're willing to overpay if necessary. It's true. What do they say? You you date the interest rate and you marry the house? That is well, I've correct. Ne- I've never heard that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, you got to catch up with old friend Greg Popovich last night. He uh, had a little bit of fun at, at your expense. And we've been talking about Popovich being sort of a, a, a true believer in old-fashioned basketball. And it's kind of coming out in his dotage here to hear him grumbling or yelling at the clouds about the three-point shot. Do you agree with him that that it's boring now? Well, it's too common is, is what it is. I mean, it's, it's just, it's the same as like we have the all-star game coming up. I mean, it's, um, are we really that enthralled about the dunk contest? You know, I just think that, um, you know, and, and pop talked about, Hey, uh, Lawrence, what term did he use in regards to the game now? He said boring. No, but he said something about this, this brand of basketball or this style or this, this he used a specific uh, adjective to describe the, the game now. He was basically referring to how, the, how much the game has changed compared to the time frame when, you know, I was there in 99 and the other years that the Spurs won the championships. Was the, the biggest thing that he talked about, you know, Dan, was he said he, he thought 
you know, he was being facetious when he said a 4.5 point shot, but you know, you never know where this is going to go when you talk about entertainment value, but also appealing to younger fans. You know, when you talk about a fan base, but the biggest thing Pop said was is eliminate the corner three and just take the three point line straight to the sideline out of bounds area and just eliminate it because he said it's too easy. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that might make the game look better? Uh, you know, he, when he first said that, I was like, man, that's, I've never heard that. That's interesting. But then I thought about it. I said, you know, you still should be able to get rewarded for ball movement. You know, that kind of, again, that's one of those things where I think you give a distinct, if you do that, you give a distinct advantage to the defense. You know, I know that the rules have changed to make it more offensive friendly. And we talk about, you know, it's, they've gone a little too far. But I think if you eliminate that shot, then you think, you know, then what's the next thing? You know, there is some merit to it, quite honestly. But then at what point then do we seriously consider you raising the height of the basket? Hmm. All right. I mean, that's definitely interesting. Um, as far as last night's game goes, you were talking about the bigs on the broadcast. What do you make of how, in certain spots, Andre Drummond has been a very effective weapon off the bench? How do you go about using him better? Well, I, I think it's, it, to me, Lawrence, it's more about, you know, we're 53 games in now, right? Correct. The Bulls are one game under 500. There's all these wacky stats that uh, we were just talking about in our pregame show. I mean, they're looking to go for their first four-game win streak, and you know, they haven't had a four-game win streak in almost a year. Wow. You know, and I, I, my, my thing is, is why I bring that up is, is because we're 53 games in now, and I'm, I still don't know if we have a – well, we don't. We don't have a set rotation. I know Billy really likes, and he doubled down last night in his post-game press conference about, you know, he really likes that small ball lineup, you know, and he likes Derek Jones Jr. at at the center position. And I get that, but I think it should be reversed because just think about the way that you asked that question, you know, about when can you use Drummond? I think it should be the other way around. When can we insert Derek Jones Jr.? Instead of the other way around, okay, I like the small ball, and occasionally we'll insert Andre Drummond. Because, I mean, all you got to do is, and I don't have it on the top of my head, but go and look at his numbers just from the last three games where he's had to play. Or or, let me rephrase that, where Billy has decided to, to put him in the game early. The impact that he has in the game because of his size. I was really impressed with his, his mobility last night, especially on the defensive end. He occasionally, like most bigs, gets carried away periodically and tries to put the ball in the deck. You know, I told, you know, he might have to have an old school center rule. Hey, man, no more than two dribbles for you, big fella. Yeah, I just think a good team's going to foul him out. You know that 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 team sucked. That 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 Spurs team's garbage. They're not very they're, good. They're really bad. And, and it was a fun night. I just don't want to read too much into it because I I, I see Drummond. If you're going to move him, 
that maybe you're a playoff contender and you're looking at one matchup. You're looking at, at an opponent somewhere in the playoffs. You're like, we're going to need beef and we're going to need a guy to throw his weight around or a guy he, there, there's somebody else he can match up with and lean on a little bit. Because I, I, I just think the value to the Bulls now is a fun night. Don't get me wrong, but that for a while it felt kind of like a summer league game to me. So I, I just I don't I don't like drawing conclusions from this. Well, I mean, listen, you're exactly right there. The Spurs were last in in, uh, uh, in the league in points allowed. I think at 123, last in the league in opponents' field goal percentage, last in the league in opponents' three point percentage at 40 percent. Blah blah blah. But I kind of abbreviated myself. We need to, and this is where I think Drummond is is valuable. We knew we need to identify what our strengths are. Okay, and Dan, there are certain matchups that just doesn't work. But I think we're at a point now we need to identify a specific rotation. We need to identify what our strengths are, and our strengths are Vooch and Drummond. Okay? Because the one thing that Drummond makes a specific difference on is rebounding, and that's a huge weakness for this team, specifically when they go small. And that's, that's where if you go back and you look at that Charlotte game, all right, two games ago, because now their winning streak – um, is that three? Charlotte. Yeah, it's, but it's Charlotte, Trailblazers, and now um, San Antonio. But, you know, Drummond didn't play a lot of minutes in that Charlotte game, and that's how they hung around. 16 offensive rebounds for 23 second-chance points. Mm. All right? He played significant minutes against Portland. They only had seven rebounds for zero second-chance points, and he played significant minutes last night and they only had six offensive rebounds for six second-chance points. You know, and, and you can talk about, well, the team's not that good, but the one thing they were was aggressive. And, and Jakob Pertl's a good, solid yeah, player, good but player. he just wasn't strong enough to match up against Andre Drummond. But that's where I think you've got to make a decision. And, it, and you're right, Dan. There are games where they would be, it'd be more beneficial to have Derrick Jones Jr. But the one thing that we kind of forget about, unless you go to the game, you know, we watch on TV in the studio like you, but how slender Derek Jones Jr. really is and how often when he's out there, he gets knocked around like a pinball. Mm-hmm. Will, walk me through, because you've been on this all season. Like, this isn't a, a new thing for you when you're talking about running the offense a little bit through Vooch. How does that work? How, how would you ideally like to see them do it on a night-in, night-out basis? Well, I would like to see when you have a specific advantage, meaning um, who did we play the other night where the tallest guy they had was 6'9"? Oh, Atlanta. I mean, you just got to constantly run him down into the post, throw him the basketball, Teams don't like to double at first. I mean, this was even Phil Jackson's motto when we were playing Cleveland with Brad Doherty and Patch and New York with Patrick Ewing. All right, we're going to throw. We're going to let him throw it into those guys. We're going to let Bill see if he can handle him. We're going to let Will see if he can handle him. Scott Williams, whoever was in the rotation, and if those guys got going, then you doubled because you don't want to double from the get go because you totally jeopardize the defense. But I think if they don't want to double, Vooch is going to give you six or eight quick points. And then when they do double, Vooch is going to have the the height to then look over the top and find the open man on the perimeter. That was the other thing that I'd forgotten about. 
I know Vooch is a willing passer, but some of the passes he threw over the last three games when I'm sitting on the sidelines doing radio and saw the things that he can do with the basketball really opened my eyes to that. He can make a lot of passes that the guards on this team can't make. But then also at the same time, if they really start to collapse down when Vooch is the last guy coming down the floor, you pass it to him. He does a dribble weave. I mean, he looks over the top of the defense. It's not just so much about you know, running it through Vooch, but letting the other guys move without the basketball when Vooch has it. Because the one thing that I've noticed is when Vooch does have the ball, it's kind of like the old adage, Dan, of all five guys have one eye on Vooch. And if our guys move, you get a backdoor cut. Mm-hmm. You, get the, you get Zach curling across the top, getting open because Vooch sets a solid screen. And when the guy goes, tries to go under, Vooch can shoot the three. Yeah, but the Bulls don't cut backdoor enough. There, there, there's, a, there's a couple plays they run where it is the there's, there's especially one to Zach that is a set play, but there's so many times that I want Patrick Williams from that corner to be like, just go, make yourself available, get above the rim. Is the moment that guy turns his head, the as soon as you see him turn, just go. And and it's I don't know if it's not just coached as as much as it is only from some of their sets, but I wish well, they yeah, back up he, more. Yeah, he had one last night where he dunked on everybody. Yeah. But if that's where – and listen, that's where I think Lawrence was leading me in that question. That happens more often when Vooch has the ball because the reason why that happens more is because when Vooch has the ball in the perimeter, now the, def- that, now the opposing post has to come out of the paint because Vooch is a, can knock down the three. He struggled the last couple games, but he's still a threat. You have to – the defense has to still be honest on how they play it. You know, a lot of times now, when I talk about you throw boots down in the post, that kind of eliminates the back cut. But at the same time, it's, it's a, to me, it's a more efficient offense. And I think that, you know, the other thing we talked about that leads to Vooch kind of having the ball in his hands more is the difference in the offense when Zach pushes it, Kobe pushes it, or Io pushes it compared to DeMar walking it down the floor. It's just, there, there are so many times, I'm, I mean, I remember we're taking a, they go to a timeout and Chuck and I take our headphones off and we're chatting and it's just, there, there, there can be uh, instances where the Bulls go down the floor eight, nine, ten times when they really look to push it where they don't have to set it up because the secondary offense at times could be so effective. Well, if, if the Bulls, try to add here at the deadline if they say hey we got an opportunity to get out of the play-in maybe we can get ourselves to a six seed what are the things that that you've identified and said they need if they're going to do that well first and foremost is they need consistent perimeter shooting you know as far as addressing the lack of players that can shoot the three consistently you know i know everybody talks about well they need to shoot more threes they need to shoot more threes but if that's not your strength why are you playing to a weakness and not a strength? And I think that then, you know, is something that they need to seriously consider and seriously address. Um, also, they have to make a serious call in the sense that, you know, as you point out, we're looking at this season too, but what about next season? I mean, Kobe's going to be a free agent. Io is going to be a free agent. I mean, I don't think you can afford to sign both of those guys. So, and which route do you go? And are you approaching it in the sense that we think that Ball's going to be back? I'm not 100% convinced that he's going to be back, you know, for next year. But I also think that the other thing is, we, we back to the Drummond situation, Dan, 
you know, he's not the best defender. They need better rim protection. But that's also, you know, again, something else that you just talked about, that if you're going to go small and put Patrick at the four, he has to do a more concerted – he has to focus more on that as helping at the rim as well. Will, we appreciate it, man. It was good to see you last night. Lawrence, it was good to see you, man. I think that they uh, – I think you need to start – I don't know if you do it all the time, but the gig where you you close the gap in between uh, 6 and 6.45. Yeah, so are, 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 we, are we talking chains if they win tonight? Like, is that coming back or we got three chains? Well, we were doing the pre- – we were doing the pregame show. We're like, hey, if they win tonight, we, uh, I think uh, our man Jay Goff is going to be wearing the chain. All right. Okay. All right. I like to see that. That would be a lot of fun. I'll actually see you guys later on tonight. He might break out in hives, but we'll make him put it on. <laughs> Thanks, Will. All right, guys. That's Will Purdue, part of that uh, sartorially splendid crew. I, th- I thought Adam Amin was pretty swaggy last man, night. He's so great. Like he stopped by for like while I was in break. Yeah, that ch- the gold chain thing, and he's like got that bracelet on the right he wrist. Is, he is and- a very well dressed and popular young man. Like Adam gets a lot of love from the fans. Like they want to talk to him. Like obviously, like Stacy takes pictures and stuff, but Adam gets a lot of love. Like people are always stopping him to, to try and get a picture, and he's happy to oblige when he can. Um, I, I got to see the whole the whole production crew. I got to see Mark Brady yesterday. Tamara Anderson said what's up, and Stacy walked by. So I get a big hug from from Adam. And I know you always say how is that possible because he's small, but it's a big hug. He's a good man and thorough. I enjoy seeing him. Makes me happy. Did you see who surfaced yesterday? Chuck Swirsky? No, I was oh. saying from a, from a football perspective. I, you see, there was a Matt Nagy sighting. Well, that's the beautiful thing about this. I don't know if people know this, but on media day, everyone from the two organizations has to talk. I I loved media. That that's when you could find anyone, anything, and and you had to be careful because you could go and be part of the big gangbang interviews. I'm not interested big, in that. No, 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 no. I'll circle back. Find that. Find that coordinator. Find that position coach that you've been dying to talk to that you haven't been able to talk to mm-hmm. because the team doesn't allow for you to talk to them. Mm-hmm. They are available on media day like Matt Nagy was, and he has some thoughts about some regrets. He's had, had a, a few. few. So we'll let you hear what Matt Nagy had to say about the end of his Bears situation. Next, Bernstein and Holmes on the score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. It's no one's fault other than everybody's. Yeah. So our guy, Matt Nagy. (laughs) Darren Bailey producing our show today. Yes, staying right down the street in the hellhole. Our guy, Matt Nagy, was available yesterday because on media day, everyone in the organization kind of has to talk. And so it gave Chicago people who are down there. I know our guy, Adam Hogue from CHGO, is down there. It gave them a chance because there wasn't a post-firing press conference with Matt Nagy. he went away. I think literally went away away. Like he just disappeared and then he reappeared as the quarterback coach in Kansas City. Like went two steps down to go back to Kansas City and work with Patrick Mahomes. So the guys and girls caught up with him 
down in Arizona. And here's what he had to say about his experience of not being here and watching Justin Fields from afar. I absolutely paid attention to him, and I was so proud of the way that he um, grew this year as a quarterback. A lot of credit to their uh, their coaches, uh, what they did with him, uh, the, the schemes that they put around him, um, and, and just the way that he took onto that. And, and you watch him. Like, again, we were a big part of drafting him and getting him to Chicago. And we were all in with Justin. And, and unfortunately, didn't get an opportunity to, you know, to, to – uh, see where he could get to. and But that's, again, that's a part of this process. That's a part of the NFL. Those guys in Chicago, their, their coaches there have done a phenomenal job of working with him. He's one hell of a player. He has a very bright future um, in Chicago. And I'm just, I'm proud of him, you know, because he's a great kid. He cares immensely about the game. He loves it. He's passionate. And he's going to keep growing. You said something about Justin. You, you see in his future him being one of these at some point? Without a doubt. I mean, he's a, he's, you, you all saw this year what he can do. And he's going to continue to keep growing. Um, what, however you want to say, whatever part of his game. But to do what he did from his rookie year to this past year, it's only going to get better for him. Um, he is wired the right way. He is, the, the, I got to see him firsthand how he studies. Um, how he practices, his passion for the game. Um, you know, he hates to lose. He's always been that way. But in this game, you know, and I get to see it every day from the, from the best quarterback in the NFL. I get to see it every day this year with Patrick. Okay, what he doesn't get credit enough with. He everybody sees him on the football field, but not enough people here know about how he works from from Monday to Saturday how he studies, how he prepare, uh, prepares, how he leads men. His, his, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's rare. And so, to me, these quarterbacks in this league, when they get that and they click onto that, they're all very talented. But Patrick is just on another level in so many areas, and that's why he is who he is. Do you almost sort of regret putting him out there in, in week three when you look back at it? Well, so that situation again. There's so many things that can go on. You know, you know, uh, Andy got hurt, yeah. and we we had a plan through this whole thing. Everybody said, "Hey, you're trying to do the the Alex Smith, uh, Patrick Mahomes deal." They're all different, and we we wanted to make sure that we we handled Justin. We knew that that was our future, and we wanted to handle him and do everything we possibly could to make sure that he succeeded. Scheme, um, how we handle practices, everything, and. There, it's just a, that was a unique situation um, with with our quarterback room. They were all great. They handled it great. But, you know, it, it just didn't go the way we wanted it to. And, again, you just learn from it. Yeah. yeah. I, I just look back at it like I just thought maybe, like, you were under pressure. Like, I got to develop this guy. And my job's on the line. But maybe, like, in the retrospect, maybe wasn't we weren't ready to put him out there and he wasn't ready to do it. Again, these guys are so young, and when they're thrown into it, everybody thinks that it could just happen overnight. Right. They're going to play like they did in college. That's not real. Yeah. Um, and so, as you're when you're a coach and you go through your your offense, your scheme, your players, you want to do everything you possibly can to make it easy for them to succeed, whatever that is. And we learn too as coaches. Yes. And so, you know, you go back to the Cleveland Browns game, yeah. right? It was a, a really, really uh, difficult game. I think there was eight or nine sacks, for, and it's not what we wanted for, for him, for Justin. Right? We didn't want it for us. We didn't want it for Justin. The last thing you want is to hurt, is to hurt somebody's confidence, a young quarterback, like we did that game. Yeah. No one wants that you know, for anybody. 
And so we needed to learn from that and be able to change some things in how we handled him. And But you, you end up running out of time and, and you also know that uh, schematically, you know, um, it just was a, it was a, a different situation. There's a lot of yada, yada, yada going on in there. Of of this of this this idea of you know we wanted this it wasn't good but nothing we could do you ran out of time. Well, what? That's not what you said after the game. Well, you ran out of time partially because you were so in love with the promises that you made for Andy. Yes. Every time anybody asked about Justin, you'd answer about Andy. You globalize the answer, and the problem I I think that once once I don't care like I've said this before. You want to bring in Andy Dalton to stabilize the quarterback spot? Okay. I, I I don't have a significant problem with that move other than what they paid Dalton, considering what he made the year before with Dallas. My issue is everything changes once they say, oh, you know what? Once Ryan Pace goes, we we got we can go get Justin Fields. We weren't expecting that to be the case. We were expecting that Andy would be our quarterback. But now we actually could move up. Just like Glennon and Trubisky. Right. So you went and got him, and that should have changed everything. It, it should have been like, Andy, look, man, we when we signed you, we had every intention of you being the starter. Now you're not as important as this guy. Your development is not as important. I also wonder if, if they had talked with ownership. About this, because I think that the the survival move is to play Justin Fields. Like there's there's really no reason to not have played him, unless ownership was saying you better make the playoffs this year. Well, we were told ownership forced their hand to put Justin Fields out there. Right, and it was the opposite. That even ownership's like, what are we doing with this kid? See that guy over there? Play him. He's probably play him. Right. He's kind of good. He's fun, and. I, I still say that Matt Nagy has the whiteboard in his head. He This is the way that it should look. And him being able to adapt out of that is one of his weaknesses as a head coaching candidate. I don't know how I feel about having brought that back because I'm getting like bad feelings. And like you say, the bad people are gone. Yeah. No no need to dwell. I But I'm I'm happy that I he was someone that I did want to hear. Like after he yeah, was done... I wanted to hear from him, and I'm glad that they got a hold of him and they were able to talk to him, even if, if his answers were somewhat unsatisfying. I, I'm curious on why he didn't do a walkabout, but that's just my own curiosity. And he landed, he's found himself right back where he was a few years ago, right there with Patrick Mahomes on the precipice of maybe winning another Super Bowl. So that's good. Like, that, that, that's really good. And, Maybe he's figured out, like, this is where I need to be for a while, and then I'll give it a go in a couple different coaching cycles. That's Lawrence Holmes. I'm Dan Bernstein. We are Bernstein and Holmes Middays on the score, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2. And I have two stories I'm very excited to bring you for High Noon. They're both rock and roll related. Okay. One is one of the all-time great classic rock and roll bands is not going to be reuniting anytime soon. No. Yikes. After some of those oh words. Oh boy. And the other is a pitchfork review of an album that has been 
just dropped by a relatively popular rock band that just got the scathing treatment. Oh, they got if, the treatment? If they, 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 they just got the old pitchfork right up the... <laughs> we are both fans of, of Carrie Fisher. Yeah. I've got some classic Carrie Fisher. And uh, maybe if we have time, I got some uh, DeMar DeRosa. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Here at high noon on this Tuesday, by the way, let's know that we began the show right before we went on the air. Lawrence uh, broke uh, the microphone, snapped it right off the arm. So Greg Davis came in here, and we, we sent up the bat signal, and our superhero engineer came in here, and you asked me over, under, would it be fixed before noon? Let the record show. He, Lawrence is back on his microphone. And it's 11.46. And he actually reconfigured it. This is better. Oh, that it's over the top now? Yes. That it's over the top instead of underneath, because that's how I ended up grabbing it and, you know, breaking it. Yeah, so he just slid the arm on the opposite way. He just flipped it. Yes. See? See how that works? Smart man. Basketball talk was fascinating today. We lamented the fact that Billy Donovan is forced to talk for... The disembodied spirit of Arturus Karnaschovas. Here, here's another question for you, Dan. Have you mm. ever heard Mark Eversley talk? No. I mean, I'm sure I have, but I don't remember him, hearing him talk. I don't know what he sounds like. And we replayed some of the Greg Popovich talk, yelling at clouds. Will Purdue joined us, and then we heard from uh, Matt Negi. It's Here on the Bernstein and Home Show, we are we are fans of Carrie Fisher. Especially Carrie Fisher when she's not doing Star Wars stuff. This was Carrie Fisher at a roast of Harrison Ford. Hi, my name is Carrie and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, sorry, wrong group. Well, actually, maybe not. Whenever I start to talk, Harrison gets nervous. I really should stop getting so nervous because it turns out I have a terrible memory, uh, which should relax a lot of people in this room. Saw Harrison on the set of Star Wars. He had that icon energy. I was 19 and he was 63. <laughs> the guy is not just a pretty face. He majored in philosophy in college and he would quote philosophers in interviews. I think Nietzsche had Harrison in mind when he said, Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht, alle schläft. Well, maybe not all they schlepped, but the stilly knocked absolutely definitely. <laughs> There's no one better than her. Ever. I'm telling you. Her her commentary on the re-release in like ninety seven or whenever that was, her stuff on those DVDs is just phenomenal. Well, if you've been hoping Pink Floyd's going to get back together and maybe have one last go-around, I'd say cross that off the old listeroo. Woo-wee! Uh, a, a writer named uh, Polly Samson tweeted at Roger Waters via Twitter. And he had given yet another interview where he's, you know, being Roger Waters. So Polly Samson uh, posted, it says, sadly, at Roger Waters... You are anti-Semitic to your rotten core. Also a Putin apologist, 
and a lying, thieving, hypocritical, tax-avoiding, lip-syncing, misogynistic, sick-with-envy megalomaniac. Enough of your nonsense. Okay? That was the tweet. Okay. The quote tweet that was sent by David Gilmore, who you will know as the lead guitarist and other pillar that remains of Pink Floyd. (laughs) This is not a goggle eyes... This is not a popcorn emoji. This is not passive-aggressive. This is not inscrutable. It is simply four words from David Gilmour. Every word demonstrably true is what he wrote. Well, all right. Doesn't seem like that's going to be doing some sort of reunion (laughs) tour. Okay, then. Hell, I think that'll that'll be it for Pink Floyd. Hard to come back from that, (laughs) right? Yep, I think we're done here. All right. I often will amuse myself after I'm done watching a Bulls game by getting on Instagram Reels and you find stuff. And I'm like, oh, I should bring that to the show. I forgot about this sketch between Will Ferrell and Drake and DeMar DeRozan. Starting today, if you score but your handshake sucks, we will trade you. Absolutely. That's ridiculous. Excuse me? What? Who's talking? Smart mouth over here. Smart mouth. What's your name? DeMar. DeMar. Demar, okay. Demar, Demar. I say it, the less I like it. Is this guy even a basketball player? This is why we're here. Yeah, I think Murph. I think we just got to demonstrate. Right. Yeah, I think we're going gossip queen. Gossip queen. You ready? <laughs> what? Gossip. Gossip queen. This is one of our more sophisticated ones. The prom. Slap hands. Maintain a nice firm grip on the hips and pose. Just a nice feeling between you and your teammate. Shouldn't we be getting back on defense? <laughs> oh my God. De- defense. Is that your cousin, Damar? <laughs> Drake had the one liners all ready for Damar. Right? Where was that? Was that the- I can't remember if that was an award show or if that was SNL, but it may have been SNL where like Will was the host and Drake was a musical performer. We know Drake likes to act. He's Jimmy from Degrassi. But shout out to Damar. For being a good sport. Have you heard of the Italian rock band pronounced Moniskin? It's spelled M-A-N-E-S-K-I-N. They did the version of Beggin that you may have heard on Beggin WSRT. Strips? Oh, uh, they're it, it's you hear them every once in a while. I've never, I've never, I don't know them. I've heard. Oh. this is the this is the hit. Oh, I know this song. Yeah, yeah. I know this song. Okay. They've got a new album out. Oh. Mona Skin has a new album out. It's called Rush. And this is <laughs> what was written by Jeremy D. Larson. Rush by Mona Skin. It says, the Italian rock band has become a global sensation. Their new album is absolutely terrible at every conceivable oh level. Oh, my God. Ready? Ready. There is a listener who has been pulled into the world of Mona Skin. I can sense their excitement, their carefree spirit, their urge to bite their bottom lip and pantomime bending a guitar string as an affirmative gesture. I know that in this massively popular Italian band, this listener has discovered a rare and powerful thing. Mona Skin are not just three men and a woman who play traditional rock music, and if you can believe it, all wear eyeliner. To this listener, wow. Mona Skin are something far more important 
an alternative. An alternative to what, exactly, is the question. The unlikely global ascent of Moneskin, the word is Danish for moonlight, pronounced Moneskin, comes off as a collective unconscious need for something else, a retro lascivious attitude that feels neither cool nor popular and therefore stands in opposition to what is cool or popular. Their music may sound like it's made for introducing the all-new Ford F-150, yet they won the campy, poppy Eurovision contest in 2021. I'm trying to win a contest. The same year they went mega viral on TikTok with their version of Beggin, a song originally written by the mid-century pop group The Four Seasons. Moneskin are from Rome, a city famous for a thousand things before you get to good rock music. Can they conquer the world, asked the New York Times? And Rush, their first album recorded mainly in English, is absolutely terrible at every conceivable level. Vocally grating, lyrically unimaginative, and musically one-dimensional. It's a rock album that sounds worse the louder you play it. He's already dead. Jeez. (laughs) Wait. And it goes on and on and on. So he says, even if... You accept the premise that Moniskin are music freaks who love rock. You'll be disappointed to learn that nothing on the album gives off that impression. Their primary influence seems to be Seven Nation Army chants at a soccer game, followed closely by late-era Red Hot Chili Peppers, followed extensively by nothing. (laughs) Beginning with the cover art featuring the band's mixed reactions as they peer up a schoolgirl's skirt, Moniskin's libido never achieves that leery, pansexual, transgressive quality they aim for. Every line about orgasms and sex feels like it was airdropped to you on the subway. This is... This is not a puritanical sex-negative reaction to songs about sex so much as a design problem. The production sounds so cramped, digitized, and swagless that it seems to be optimized for getting busy in a Buffalo Wild Wings bathroom. Oh my god! This last paragraph. He he missed an opportunity there. He should have gone Burger King. No, that's bathroom. the no no no. He, he he knows what he's doing. I know, but he should have gone it's Burger funnier. King bathroom. It, this is funny. Who is this for? Where is that rapt Moniskin listener? It strains credulity to imagine the album will rally the aging nostalgia crowd pining for the days of real music, the same way the Black Keys or Greta Van Fleet or any other Grammy core rock act did. Sex Idiot Rock, a storied and wonderful genre that bounces around from T-Rex to ACDC to Van Halen to Jane's Addiction to the 1975, deserves better than this. But Moniskin has arrived. They are here for you, wherever you are, abandoned to build your identity around and say, I'm not with the cool kids, I'm with Moniskin. Oh my god! (laughs) Jeez! Oh, who's who's the author? Is that absolutely glorious? Oh, it's so much fun. Jeremy D. Larson of Pitchfork. Golf clap hat tip to you. He's already dead. Oh Jeez. God.